Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. We talked this morning about banking, and of course, I think we should be banking on the kingdom, but uh, we've heard in the news the Great Reset. Maybe you have, depending on whose news you're listening to, but uh, we've talked about it. We talked about it this morning. We talked about banking, where banking came from, and I've been writing about these things, banking, the kingdom of God, the fact that the temples were all banks, that the golden calf was a reserve fund uh, used to... Uh, bring the people into bondage the the fact is is this uh this idea of that the fact that the temples were banks most people haven't got a clue that if i told that uh 80% of the people out there in the world they would have no idea that the jerusalem bank uh, the jerusalem temple operated as a bank they would have no idea that the same word for table, when Jesus threw over the tables or overthrew the tables in the temple, that that same word is the word for bank in Greek. It's even translated bank elsewhere in the New Testament by the King James uh, translators. They knew that word meant bank. And when Peter is talking about it's not right that we wait on tables... It means it's not right that we, as the apostles, should not be starting a bank. Not that they shouldn't have a bank, but that we should not be the ones who are starting it, creating it. Now, I talked to you about the, what is it, uh, Right to Life Bank. Some guys are trying to start that up. Uh, there's a People's Bank over in Klamath Falls. But there's another institution other than banks that is more in line with the kingdom. And people say, well, you don't want to be in banking at all. Well, if you're going to use Federal Reserve notes, you're in banking, which is partly what we talked about this morning. If you're using bank notes, you know, or, or U.S. notes, there used to be U.S. notes. We talked about that this morning. Kennedy started printing non-interest bearing U.S. notes. And he was firing up the printing presses, starting to print them. They, they looked quite a bit like a Federal Reserve note. They had some red ink on them rather than green ink. I mean, they were green mostly, but they had some red ink printing on them. I have some here in the drawer somewhere just as a sample to show people so that they realize I'm not kidding. <laughs> but uh, within days after his assassination, LBJ... Uh, Signed a bill to, or signed a executive order to end, because it was created by executive order, but to end the printing of U.S. notes. And whereas Kennedy was taking troops out of Vietnam, we weren't fully in Vietnam. We were, we had uh, advisors there, trainers, that sort of thing. Guys were getting killed, but we didn't have a massive military presence. Uh, we had a massive military use of armaments which uh, your taxpayers are paying for. But uh, anyway, which is really what the war was all about. There was absolutely no need. You could have... I've had Vietnamese... I was supposed to kill them back then when I was in the military uh, during Vietnam back in the 60s. 
But now, I've had, since then, I've had Vietnamese in my house give me hugs and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, I didn't kill any of them when I was in the military. Now, their whole aspect and career of my life that uh, uh, taught me a great deal of things from behind the scenes. It was like God was always sending me, well, every time I'd show up in a new place or a new circumstance, I'd be saying, so what is it I'm supposed to learn here? <laughs> well, I've learned a lot of stuff, and we put a lot of it down at preparing you and at hisholychurch.org. Uh, and it's all there for free, but people are still going to these gurus who are going to tell them how everything works and get them into all kinds of trouble, and then you can't even find them anymore. And the fact is, is that Christ told you how it works. Your preachers in most churches aren't telling you how it works, but he knew how it worked. And uh, and the the lie has been a long time in constructing, but the lie has created an image of Christ and an image of God that just ain't so. It's a it's a graven mental image of God. Now, you say, well, the, that graven images, that's statues. Well, evidently, you don't understand things like allegories and metaphors. <laughs> you constructed your view of Christ, and you love that view. And if I tell you anything to the contrary, you're not only going to hate me, but you're certainly going to hate what I say. And the fact is, Christ was setting men free, showing them the keys... To the kingdom. The keys to a kingdom under God instead of under the gods of the many of the world. Paul talks about God's many. Who's he talking about? The ruling judges that decide that you have to wear a mask. You have to shut your business down. Uh, you can't have uh, a bank account or a job unless you first go wave a right to a portion of your labor and get a number that, that proves that you have to waive that right. That that's that's in the codes. We talked about that this morning. Title forty two, section six 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 requires that you have that number issued by the government in order to get any license, identification, uh car license, marriage license, anything. You have to have that number. Now you don't actually have to show it, and I've told this story too, another one of those little classroom uh, lessons that God was teaching me, and, and it was it was miraculous the chain of events. I mean, my, I had one son with me at the time, but uh, it, w- what something you cannot believe that you would ever have <laughs> in a Department of Motor Vehicles office. No customers. I when I came in there, there were dozens of customers. There was like. Uh, I think six or seven tellers up there waiting on them all. So I'm waiting for my turn. I'm waiting for my turn. And and I noticed that people were dwindling. There was hardly anybody in there. And I've never been in a DMV that it wasn't packed. And finally, when we got up to the counter, everybody was gone. It's like the Twilight Zone. Like you're in some sort of <laughs> place where... That nobody, nobody was in there, except for all the tellers, and and uh, nobody came in until we had concluded our business there. And our business was is that uh, uh, I came in to get a driver's license. Uh, 
but I don't have a social security number. And I don't have a social security number because I know the way through the maze. Not because I threw it away or because I denounced it or anything like that. By law, I don't have a social security number. Now, that doesn't mean I can survive in this world. (laughs) I'm depending upon the grace of God. So I said, you know, I come, you know, my license is about to expire and I came to renew it. So how do I do that? Well, you have to have a social security number. And so anyway, I began to explain that I don't have one, why I don't have one, the legal ramifications of it. I can't claim to have one. I had one at one time. There was a number, but... Uh, you know, all that, how it went away, was miraculous because all, a series of chain of events had to take place for that to take place. But beyond my control, beyond my understanding, at least, uh, certainly beyond my understanding at the time, I did not know exactly, uh, you know, I was walking in the dark, but I had a little light I was following. So anyway, here I am. And uh, they said, well, we can't do that. And, of course, now I have all, at least six tellers. I think somebody went to the bathroom. But at least six of the counter people, all there in front of me, and were discussing this in a very calm sort of way. They're they're asking questions. They're, well, I've never heard of this. And, And I'm speaking, and I, of course, me, how quiet a tone I normally have. You know that. No, I was speaking very loudly, and I knew I had to speak loud. I felt myself speaking a little louder than I normally would have. But very calm and peaceful conversation. Nobody's shouting at anybody, but I am speaking a little louder. And I notice the tone, how loud it is. And But it's a very friendly, friendly conversation, which is not normal with a bunch of bureaucrats, <laughs> clerks, especially when you're going against what they normally do. But there were no other customers. Nobody else was in there. And nobody came in the whole time. And this conversation went on for, you know, five, ten minutes with these six people. You know, it started with one, but then they all started coming over and, and listening. But there was a guy in a, in a back room, a back office. I could see him through the crack in the door that he was at a desk. He, I couldn't see him really clear because he was a good ways away. But he could hear me. And suddenly he gets up. And he comes to the door. And he's standing at the door, clearly listening, you know, with his left ear to the door. And then he opens up the door at some point in the conversation. And he comes out and he walks over and... They're all convinced that there's no way to do this. And he says, you're right. Because I'm saying, you know, you can't, you can't require, the law says you cannot require a social security number for identification purposes. And many of those tellers think that they need a social security number from you for identification purposes. That's just what they have assumed and so that's the way they talk. And, of course, I had all the statutes memorized and all the federal codes memorized. And, I mean, I didn't memorize them. I just, they just stuck in my head at the time. And it's not important now because it has nothing to do with identification. And, and I knew that. But I had to speak to them in whatever way the Spirit was leading me at that particular time. So that's what I did. I spoke to them about it. And it wasn't the six that were in front of me. Although... Maybe some of it is 
still chewing away at one of those tellers. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't show up sometime. <laughs> I don't remember them very well. I do remember the guy that came out and what he said. And in talking with him, I, you know, uh, we covered some of this same ground at Preparing You, which is that comes right to section 666, right at the top. And I go there. And it says, U.S. Code, Title 42, Section 666, which I have a link to on another page where you can read the actual code, requires Social Security number to obtain almost any government documentation or ID or license. Now, not everybody asks for it, but the codes say that it is required. Now, you notice it didn't say for identification, but to obtain identification because they, you have to be a member and you prove your membership with your social security number. And that's what this guy came out to say is you do not need to give us your social security number to get a driver's license. And the tellers were all like shocked. Well, we've been asking it from everybody. Like we were told that, that we needed it. No, you don't actually need the number. You just need to know they have a social security number. That's all you need. And you can prove that you have a social security number by showing a card. But you don't have to show the card. They don't need to write down the number. You just, they just need to know that you have the card. If they ask for the number, it's just so they can prove that they asked to see if you had a social security number. It's not for ID purposes. And this guy understood that. I don't know who he was or where he came from, but he, obviously everybody listened when he talked. And he had an office. He wasn't waiting at the counter. He says, all you have to do is go down to the Social Security Administration and have them check to see if you have a number. They will write a letter. They actually just have it so they can print it right out. They just type in your name. And they the letter says that you have a Social Security number. And you bring that letter back. It doesn't have the number on it. Just bring that letter back and you show it to them and they will give you a driver's license. You don't need to give them the number. Wow, isn't that amazing? But of course, that didn't help me because there was a phrase that had to be typed into the letter that you didn't just have a social security number. You had a social security number for benefit purposes. And if you have it for benefit purposes, you can have a driver's license. Well, of course, if you're a minister, according to the rules that were laid down by Christ in the early church, not by the church, but by Christ for the early church, that's the, again, prepositions are important. <laughs> More important than pronouns. So, you... You... You can't have an entitlement from another government and be a minister of Christ. You can't have Caesar owe you benefits and be a minister of Christ. And it's very clear. We, we lay this out in the Free Church Report. We lay it out at Preparing You. We, we lay it out over and over again. Uh, the original Free Church Report I was mentioning this morning, the original Covenants of the Gods, was over 740 pages. The original Free Church Report was like 380 pages. 
It might have been 360. I can't quite remember. Both of them were reduced down to 140 pages, 144 pages. And so I took out stuff. I put stuff into footnotes. You have to go read the footnote. Then the footnote takes you somewhere else, and you have to read that to get all the jots and tittles that were in the original Free Church Report. The one I took to Washington, D.C. was probably around 190 pages. And I removed a great deal of that. Uh, and then I put in other things to give you, like parables. Parables are stories that it gives you in order to express the principles of the kingdom. So I told some stories in the Free Church Report to point to the principles. Unless you know all the codes and have a brain that can go through all those things and remember all those things, which I really don't have, but God does, and God shows me what's important. And then I show you so that you can put it all together. But as I told the guy, I says, well, you know, that, and he understood this because of what I had already been saying to the other people. I says, well, that doesn't help me because I don't have a social security number because I had to waive a right to any of the benefits of that number in order to become a minister of Christ. Because Christ commanded that we do so. He insisted this over and over again. If you want to be a minister of Christ, one of his disciples, meaning disciples, student ministers. And so, he said, yes, I understand. And I said, so... And he had explained all this very clearly. You could tell that he was reciting things from memories. Another one of those guys that just had a great memory. And I said, could you give me that in writing? And he says, no, I cannot. <laughs> and he, it's one of those canats, I may not. I'm not allowed to. Just the fact that he came out and told me, I think he might have been breaching a confidence. And so I cannot remember his name. And I'm not going to mention which DMV officer was. <laughs> He's probably retired by now. He wasn't young then. But the reality is, is that all this, in, or what the point of this whole story is, all of what you're seeing come about with the Great Reset and, uh, and uh, you know, what we talked about this morning, the Constitution had at least four major flaws in order to be a biblical document. To be sanctioned by the word of God, you had to have five elements in your constitution. Otherwise, you don't, you know, you might get away with four and still be called a biblical document. But if you're missing four and only have one and you don't pay attention to that one, then that's not, the, the constitution is not biblical. Also, this morning we explained pretty clear and I can explain even in greater clarity and have in all of our radio programs that the Constitution not only is not a biblical document, it is not the source of your freedom, it is actually the instrument, again I'm picking words here, the instrument of your bondage. It is at least one of the instruments of your bondage. There are many bars in your cell. Most of the bars that are keeping you locked up are the bars of your own making in your mind, which were manufactured at the same time you created an image of Christ that just ain't so. Christ came to set you free. 
Yet, here you are, after supposedly 2,000 years, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. Something God said you were never to return to. And what it actually says you were to put in your constitution that the government could do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt. Now, they probably could have done it anyway. Uh, without doing anything to return you to the bondage of Egypt. And we actually see that mechanism, that instrument being played out right now. They want to stifle free speech. They don't have a right in the U.S. to stifle free speech. They can do it in Australia. They can do it in China. Because there is no theoretical constitution. And so they have to try to abide by the constitution to some degree. But yet you're in bondage because of the contractual contract guarantee in the Constitution that they cannot impair your right to contract. So they had you contract with the Social Security Administration, with the Federal Reserve, indirectly to the Federal Reserve, but uh, they have got you to do this. And they're doing the same thing with free speech is that they're using you know, Facebook and Google to control speech. They're not doing it. Those private companies are doing it. Of course, that is the definition of fascism, but who cares about the definition of words? Well, we do. You know, fascism is using corporate power in conjunction with political power to gain total power over the people. That's what they're doing. And it's amazing. It's all the people on the left promoting this that are the real fascists, but they're accusing all of you as fascists. Which is a common phenomenon. You know, the guy crying thief is sometimes the thief. <laughs> so, but, now, uh, you know, I have a video on, if you go to uh, preparingyou.com and you look up Federal Reserve, there's a video down there. And I listened to it just before the broadcast began. And it, why... The whole banking, he starts to say their uh, banking system is a scam, is supposedly with the title of the video. And scam, uh, that may be too strong a word. I'm not going to say that it isn't somewhat of a scam, but the fact is all scam artists depend upon your larceny to make their scam work. It's not their larceny, it's your larceny. They will actually publish how it all works, but nobody takes the time to read it. They get other people like those clerks in the DMV who are saying, well, we need your social security number for identification purpose. Because I'm sure somebody, they probably doesn't say that anywhere, uh, specifically that way, anywhere in their instructions. But that's the way they might interpret it. We need to know if the individual has a social security number and you could take a social security card as evidence of that. And somebody thinks, well, we need it to identify you. No. They just need to know that, you know, so that now have you, after years of this, supposedly if you have a driver's license and ID and CDL and all these things, they know oh, you're a member of the club. You got the number. You know, it might be just memorized in your head, but you got the number. It might be an actual card held in your hand, but you got the number. And if you go look at our, which you can also go to, I probably should put a link on this page. I may even have it on there already. Mark of the Beast. Mark of the Beast is not a chip. Now, it may may become a chip, 
But you don't need a chip to have a badge of servitude. And that's all the mark of the beast was, was a badge of servitude. And we go through all the words, poneros and and labors and all these things. And we show you what the words actually mean in the Greek at that time. Had somebody the other day saying that, oh, ecclesia means assembly. Ecclesia does not mean an assembly. An ecclesia might assemble, but an ecclesia is a called out. That's what the words mean, called out. I gave them five, six, seven, eight Greek words that can all mean assembly or congregation. Symposia uh, is a Greek word that means a small group of like ten. And Christ commanded that you make the people sit down in symposia. Rank upon rank of symposia. Well, that's a group of ten. So you got ten families gathered together in a group, uh, and that's a symposia. Well, then you got ten of those groups gathered together. That too is a kind of symposia in relationship to the group. So that's why the words rank. And that's, they had five thousand men in their families, so they had five thousand families, and they ended up organizing themselves into tens, hundreds, and fifties, which is five thousand. And, but none of that was Ecclesia. Ecclesia is called out. The church in the wilderness is the called out in the wilderness. And who was the called out in the wilderness? It wasn't all of Israel. It was the Levites. They were the one who was called out. And that was the church in the wilderness. And the apostles were called out. And the seventy were called out. And they're told to be in the world, but not of the world. That's out of the world. These are the ones I want to keep them from the world. Separate. Now the only reason they're called out is to help to keep the rest of you free. And so Christ, Moses, both showed you how to set up a free society where you take care of one another. Through faith, hope, and charity. That's what Christ was teaching. is How to form a free society that cares for one another, provides a daily ministration of pure religion in faith, hope, and charity which requires a great deal of love on your part, a great deal of forgiveness on your part, a great deal of humility on your part to make that a reality. A great deal of diligence on your part. When it says, study to show thyself approved, it's actually saying, be diligent to show thyself approved. That means get in a congregation, a symposia of ten, a free assembly of ten, and start caring about those ten as much as you care about yourself. And then altogether, that symposia needs to care about other symposia just as much as you care about your symposia. And then you will be able to do what we see the church doing as there were dirts sweeping across the Roman Empire. They were able to gather up funds and send to Greece, to send to Corinth or send to Syria. Or send to Ephesus. Or send from Ephesus to somewhere else. In the body of Christ. To help take care of one another. Why was that important? There was government aid around. But they wouldn't take that. They didn't eat of that table. You know I'm kind of repeating myself. And what does this have to do with banking? In the kingdom of God. You're what's deposited. You're deposited in the kingdom of God. We don't want... Your money in your purse in our central vault somewhere. We want your money in your pocket. 
But we want to connect you in an intervascular system and nervous system of the body of Christ so that you too can do what Paul and Barnabas were doing when there's hard times in Kentucky or Australia or or wherever. And and you have to take care of one another, help one another, share with one another. And when you do that, you are literally knocking on the door of Christ so that he opens up that door and allows his spirit to enter into you and show you what you need to know and become perfect in the way of Christ. So this morning anyway, I talked about the real purpose of the Federal Reserve you know, uh, to create changes wrought in the dominion of humanity. Now, for for centuries, even the Indians, they 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 didn't own territorial pieces. Although that there was some, you know, like families uh, when they moved about and they camped in certain areas uh, during the winter, especially a lot of times they would come and camp in in a more localized area. Or, or like the Mandans, they had their own lodges, they had their own boundaries, they had their own ways of resolving disputes. And uh, collectively, you know, they say nobody can own the land, but they had, they were very territorial. They caught, you know, Blackfoot caught a Shawnee in their area or vice versa. There could be blood because they were very territorial. They just didn't have survey equipment to mark off and set out boundaries and put 10,000 miles of fences up to to mark off all the boundaries. They just didn't have that ability. But they were territorial. Now, that's always been the case. But from the beginning, God gave man dominion over the earth. Not to abuse it, but to dress it and keep it and take care of it. If he made a point of saying that, it's evidently very clear that man can lose dominion on this planet. Uh, He can either do it by selling his right to the dominion of the earth or by dying without an heir. And those are part of the elements of what's going on. It's part of why there was a Federal Reserve. Now, the guys who started the Federal Reserve, they just knew banking. They knew that, oh, fractional reserve banking, we can loan money we don't even have (laughs) at an interest that nobody can afford to pay. And you can't afford to pay it because, like I said this morning, they can issue a trillion dollars worth of notes, charge 1% interest on it, and eventually they'll have all the gold and silver in the world. Because where are you going to get the notes to pay the interest? They haven't issued them yet. (laughs) (laughs) And when they do, they're only going to loan them into circulation. You see the problem here. Is that, and this is why, of course, it was redeemable and lawful money. Partly why. Partly it was the, you know, people wouldn't have done it if it wasn't redeemable and lawful money because people knew what lawful money was and they knew notes were not lawful money. Which is why I have a whole section here on the cashless society. Because in the 1800s, notes were not considered cash. Cash had to be substance. Real gold, real silver, real copper, coin. That's that's cash. 
actually, at one time, cash, and not one time, for a long time, cash could be trade goods. You could bring in eggs, and they would trade you other commodities. That's still considered cash, because it's substantive. But you don't have any of that anymore. And so you don't have a substantive economy. But even though I point that out, I am not suggesting that everybody go out and get gold and silver and we start trading amongst ourselves with gold and silver. There is no amongst ourselves until we sit down and trade the beat of our heart, the beat of our, the breath of our soul with one another. Either trade or give it away. And that's, that's one of the things about kingdom economy is that it's a sharing economy. Doesn't mean you can't keep books and keep track of some things, but it is a sharing economy. And people were laying, literally laying down their lives to save other members of the community. And that is a common thing in nature. Somebody wrote this morning, I didn't write him back, and was saying that ultimately the goal is to survive until you can breed the next generation. And that's a selfish goal. So selfishness does work in that scheme of surviving. Actually, it doesn't. Anybody who has studied history knows that selfishness does not ensure, it may amongst lobsters, but it doesn't amongst complex communities such as human beings, that you have to have a sharing economy that actually takes care of one another so that you can actually survive. Because that was the whole thing with the golden calf. They were afraid they would be attacked by Amalek's, Malachi's, whoever. And when they were attacked, if the force was overwhelming, they were afraid everybody would run and leave. So in order to get their loyalty, they created a one-purse golden calf. They took their gold, they put it in the golden calf. You run, you have no gold with you. Your wealth is tied up here. You must stay. If you won't defend your neighbor, at least you'll defend the golden calf. That was the goal. That was the goal. Now, I'm sure there were people uh, there that because it was going to take more than Aaron to create this reserved bank, this golden calf, this reserve fund that everybody would stay and defend. But it was important that the wealth of the people be in one purse, one common place, and that they had to defend and this would bind the people together to defend this wealth in common. But that's not the way of God. And Moses knew it. Aaron screwed up. Aaron didn't know it. He didn't, didn't have a good argument against it. Neither did FDR. Neither did Woodrow Wilson. Neither did most of you who allowed this to take place. You didn't understand it. You didn't understand it because they were not preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the church. They were preaching the gospel of their imagination. They had created denominations. There's only one denomination in the church established by Christ, and that is Christ. In the church established by Constantine, there could be as many denominations as you want. And like I said this morning, how do you know you're in the Church of Constantine? Well, there's lots of telltale signs by what they do. Are they workers of iniquity? Yeah, well, then you know that you're in the Church of Constantine. 
Are, are they coveting their neighbor's goods through the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority? You know, have public schools, public health care, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, all these government services that are provided by the contributions of the people that are delivered by force. The Levites couldn't force the tithing of the people. They were tithed to according to their service. Because they were a free society. Until they had Saul, and then Saul forced an offering. And he was called foolish for it. But of course, his foolishness was the result of the foolishness of the people who said, let's have a king. And they got a king. And God said, you know, he's going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. When you cry out, I'm not even going to hear you. And then we talked this morning about what you'll need to do to get them God do hear you. Now, you know, I I often quote, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, what was the sin of Sodom in time of affluence? They failed to strengthen the poor. Well, there's an Ezekiel quote, quote in chapter 7, verse 19, that says, uh, they shall set their silver in the streets and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the days of the wrath of God. Now remember we talked about the wrath of God. The wrath of God are the consequences of the creation of God which is a cause and effect universe. The wrath of God is what comes about because you go against the way of God. And the repercussions of that we call the wrath of God. And they shall not satisfy their souls. What are they talking about? Neither fill their bowls because it is a stumbling block. Of their iniquity. What's the iniquity? They're workers of iniquity. Christ said. Those guys who said they were Christians. And he says. But I, I, you're actually workers of iniquity. I don't even know you. You don't even know me. Many would be that way. And what is that iniquity? They've been coveting their neighbor's goods. They've been praying to the, the rulers of the world. The benefactors who exercise authority. To get benefits at their neighbor's expense. They've been... Uh, lovers of the rewards of unrighteousness, which is that system of compelled charity or legal charity. That's iniquity. That's coveting your neighbor's goods and creating schemes whereby to do it. Ezekiel 44.12 Because they ministered unto them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fail. To fall into iniquity. Therefore have I lifted up my hand against them, saith the Lord God, and they shall bear their iniquity. You're going to suffer for this iniquity, and we see it already. Your inflation. Gas in some places is up to six, seven dollars a gallon. 
and you have to work twice as hard and you're going to have less money and life is, you know, the poneros is kicking in. This is what it says it talks about. And with you, you go look up Mark of the Beast and they talk about, you know, people say, oh, it's a chip because you have this pain and all this. Well, the word there is many labors. You're going to have to labor twice as hard to get half as much. And, and why has this all come about? Just, Paul tells you in Romans 11.9, quoting David, let their table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. You know, like I've now created an article on stumbling block. What, what is this word stumbling block? What, what do they mean? We find it in a number of places. It's usually translated like stumbling block, but we can go way back to Leviticus 19.14. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block, which is mikshol, before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. So, who's out putting stumbling blocks in front of blind people? Or is that a metaphor? There were people who understood and knew what this system would lead to. The Federal Reserve System would lead to. A lot of them were just greedy. And they were as blind as anybody else. But some of them knew. And they knew you didn't know. You didn't see. And they set you up. But you can't really declare fraud. God can punish him, but you can't because you should have known. Had you been listening to the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit, instead of the emotional Holy Spirit you've conjured up with your fake churches, you would have seen this coming. You would have known. By the grace of God only, but you would have known. But you didn't know. And so it ended up that you fell into this. And that word stumbling block, if you look at it in 1 Samuel 25, 31, it's translated offense. And in Psalms 119, it's translated offend. Because to put this stumbling block in front of other people, like we see in Isaiah 57, 14, and shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Well, I'm telling you how to get the stumbling block out of the way of the people. But you got to be his people. you got to do what he says. He says that down the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, start loving your neighbor as yourself like you really mean it. Start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. If you don't do that, the stumbling block is not going out of the way. As a matter of fact, the wrath of God is coming. And that's one of the things that you know a lot of people don't understand in the Mark of the beast, because most of you already have it. You say, well, then I'm condemned. It doesn't say that. It says that you will be tested. It's actually a word there, tested, by the coming of the wrath of God. The consequences. The consequences are coming. Because this is the cause and effect universe. They're coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. But, what side... Are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the side of the Lord? That's one of the things that Moses, when he called out the Levites, he says, all those who are on the Lord's side, come here. Whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the 
If you're just going to get mad at the system, you got to remember the guys who implemented the system are victims, well, to some degree, their own greed. But God is judge. You know, why are you so upset that you're finally finding out the truth? That should make you happy. It should not make you afraid. It should not make you sad. It should not make you angry. You can maybe be a little angry at yourself for being so stupid and gullible. But, you know, you can't be angry at your parents because you would have gone the same way except for by the grace of God. Leave judgment to God. You just turn around and go the other way. And and that's that's one of the key things that everybody needs to start to realize. In that quote from Ezekiel, you've already cast your silver into the streets. When they came out with the Federal Reserve notes, you could still get silver or you could still get Federal Reserve notes. And everybody got accustomed to using Federal Reserve notes and you started seeing less and less of the silver. Although if you went to Las Vegas, you could still get silver dollars everywhere for a long time. And then in the 60s, they started taking the silver out of the coin, and a lot of people started gobbling up coin and stashing it away. When they made it illegal for U.S. citizens to have gold, they didn't go from house to house and raid people and take the gold out of their pockets and out of their purses, etc. They did, a couple of people, they did that, and I don't know the exact circumstances of those people. They may have been... You might have to look at their status. It may have been illegal what they did to the few people they did confiscate gold from. But confiscating it from banks, banks have no inalienable right to their property. They're creations of the state. So if banks had gold in their vaults, they could come and take that. And so, you know, that there creates certain dilemmas now. If everybody came together the way they're supposed to, and and I know a lot of the people out there listening to the gurus, what I have to say doesn't appeal to them. They want their rights back. They want their freedom back. They want their property back. And they really don't care about anybody else. I always tell the story when I went to one of these justice uh, meetings. Actually, it was in Klamath Falls. That wasn't very far away. And I heard everybody complain, this person complained, that person complained. There was a lot of corruption. I mean, the local DA was in with the Mexican mafia and he was a cocaine addict and all kinds of other problems. And I have first-hand knowledge of some of this stuff over there, bizarrely enough. Um, But the reality is, is uh, I eventually stood up and, and spoke. I didn't stand up at a podium. I just stood up right in the middle. And I said, look, the solution to this is you guys have to get together. You have to care about the abuse to these people as much as you care about abuse to yourself. You have to be there. They always wait to the end of the court day to carry out their shenanigans, stealing property. Now, all the judges aren't doing this, but it is happening. It has been happening all over the world, all over the United States for a long time. There's abuses in the courts. And if you don't think they are, uh, you're naive. And I've been sitting in courts for almost three quarters of a century. Because I used to go to court when I was a kid with my dad. And I, I know the shenanigans and the, the criminal activity going on there. I know the criminal activity goes on in government. Now everybody's getting so surprised no, it's been going on on both parties for a long time. 
But uh, even though you you recognize this, you you have to if if fifty people came in and stayed till you appeared in front of the judge, the judge and and, and if one of them had the Holy Spirit, the judge would not be able to do what. He ever it is that he was going to do that is illegal. If two of you had, it would be even greater. And this, of course, the argument that you hear from Abraham. If I could find one righteous man, <laughs> uh, you know, ten or a hundred and then ten. And, and uh, finally they said, look, you know, uh, Simon and Gomorrah is in a lot of trouble, period. <laughs> so, uh, but the reality is we could save some people. But it's amazing how many people I, I showed up for and actually uh, saved their bacon in many cases and uh, and then you don't see them anymore. You share all this stuff with them and they, they don't come together because they really don't care about anybody else. They got theirs. They got out of it. They didn't lose too much. And then they're not. Well, that's that's not the kingdom. You have to stick at it. You have to make a commitment. Not because you care about me, but because you care about the righteousness of God. And that's what you're seeking. You have to be willing to care about others to prove that in the doing of the word. Because that that opens the door to the Holy Spirit, which is where the real power is. Because it is that Holy Spirit that arranges evil to shut up and sit down and the truth to be manifest. It is that Holy Spirit that stops the chariots of Pharaoh. It is that Holy Spirit that will bring the manna from heaven. But it's a real commitment and God will test your resolve. That's what the crucifixion was a test. Lord, Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Because it was a test. And, and all of us will feel abandoned. But which way will we go when we hit rock bottom? And I hope that you don't have to hit rock bottom to make that choice. I'm afraid a lot of people will have to hit rock bottom before they make that choice. It's very important that you start that journey back and learn what it means to be banking on the kingdom. So the purpose was really to undermine the title of all the property in, a, in the world. And to make all the people, their flesh and their blood, surety for the debt that they were creating. So that much of what you see in that Edward Mendel House quote is actually true. I just don't believe that he said it at that time. Because if things, you know, that, that first, the second audio is up already. The first audio will be up Tuesday. If you want to get notification, you have to join the network. And hopefully you will eventually join the Living Network, which is to sit down in those tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, pick men you trust, to connect you with all the other people in the network. And then start caring about the people, not only that are in your immediate congregation, but all the other congregations around the world. You have to care about the people in Australia as much as you care about us. And that that's a test for each of us. So the real elements is... You know, the reason why you're supposed to own, to return every man to his possessions, I talked about that this morning, the year of Jubilee, is you're returning every man to his blood. to His blood to him. Because your wealth is a product of your blood, your sweat, your toil. 
And they want to own your blood. They want to own your flesh. The seed of the soul is in the blood and they want to own you. This way the, in the traveling merchants of the earth in the in Revelation, they have a full stock. It's because a lot of people aren't turning around and going the other way. So society is a group of persons and I put that in there because a person is a member. It's actually part of the definition. You'll see links like to my article on society. And families can unite together for some common purpose. That's part of the definition of society. By mutual consent, part of the definition of society. But that consent be at one moment in a contractual or compact way. Or by oaths of allegiance added on to those contracts and compacts. Or social bonds of love and charity through faith. It is the latter that is the kingdom of God. That And those are not created overnight. They are created over a long period of time. I'll put a quote in here from Alexis Tocqueville who goes and explains that. I think I have the quote in my article on community. Yeah, that I have, but I have added to so many pages. Somebody's been helping me with some of my responsibilities out here. So it has allowed me to do a lot of work in connecting all these things. But my work doesn't save you. What saves you is your repentance and your willingness to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So either you're creating a society based on force and fear and fealty, or you're creating a society based on faith, hope, and charity. The latter is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the former will create churches that makes you feel good and stimulate your emotion and play great music and tell you that you're saved. But that's the church of Constantine. Again, the real treasure of the kingdom is the mind and hearts of the people because it is in them that the Holy Spirit may reside. And if you had two men filled with the Holy Spirit in the court, things would have been different. For many people. If you had ten, it would have been phenomenal. With a hundred, you could stop an army. But it has to be the real Holy Spirit and not your imagination. And the reality has a way of removing the products of your imagination and leaving you with nothing but the truth. And the whole truth. Families are bound together in society by fellowship and faith or force and fear. Your choice. If the family falters, society fails. And this is one of the things that they move to. Then is the, uh, what I, I labeled just before the show is revolting, real revolting revolution. It's, uh, and, and I, I'm sure I will add more to this as they go through the audios. But uh, there's quite a few links in here. Yeah, there was a number of sexual revolutions. There was a guy who wrote a book that said, within two generations after a sexual revolution that allowed for promiscuity and pervasive immorality, society collapsed in history. And that's a pretty good general rule. Now, there was a sexual revolution back in the late 1800s after the Civil War, but it did not produce the radical promiscuity 
It did remove a great deal of the Victorian values, not that Victorian values, it's the values of Christ, the Holy Spirit living in you that is key. But that looks like some of the Victorian values. And with the removal of those, then it was only a matter of removing more. And unfortunately, a great many of the denominations tried to enforce morality. Morality is never legislated. You're either moral or you're not moral. If you're moral, you may have legislation that, you know, like we all drive on the right side of the road and things like that. But you're not going to be trying to regulate the lives, micro-regulate the lives of the people. That is done. And if you did not have a system of social welfare by the state, that was one of the first things. I did recordings on that concerning, you know, I gave the examples of how things changed in America, how they changed even before that in Australia, because the introduction of state welfare. The introduction of state welfare has done more to steal your freedoms than almost anything else. And you can repent of state welfare. But you have to, nature abhors a vacuum, and the early church knew this. So, so the early church had a daily ministration based on charity. Not legal charity, but real charity. Pure religion. That's what you need to move towards real liberty and prepare for the coming collapse of all banking, which is what they're going to do. They're going to pull the rug out from underneath you and destroy everything. Anyway, peace in your house, and may God be with you. God bless. See you on the network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.